organisations from Capita. Hello and welcome to this podcast from Capita about how we adapt like never before to the disruption we're all experiencing. I'm Justine Green and in these unique times we'll be looking at how coronavirus has affected business and learning, how organisations are changing and what the new norm might look like when the pandemic is under control. And following new ways of working, we're recording our podcast differently. We're not in the studio as normal, but we're all part of the conversation from various locations. So joining me remotely are Ishmael Amla, Capita's Chief Growth Officer. Hello, Ishmael. Hi, Justine. And from the US, Vivek Wadwa, technology entrepreneur and academic. Hello, Vivek. Hello, Justine. Great to be on with you. Ishmael, I think we're all aware of how serious the situation is and how business is being affected. What type of organisations are proving to be most resilient in the face of this massive disruption? Um, What we're finding, actually, is that the organisations that are appearing to be the most resilient have two or three key characteristics. So firstly, what we've found is organisations that have a culture of agility, the ability to really react very quickly Secondly, I think organizations that have been loyal, uh, I think everybody is watching how people are treating their people, how people are treating their clients, how people are treating, how organizations are treating the firms in which they uh, live and work. And that's going to, that's, you know, going to be a key part as we go into what the new norm might look like. And the third thing I think that's becoming really relevant is organizations and their ability to work to a purpose, i.e. a higher mission and an ability to impact the, the sort of communities that they want to work in is, is proving to be more resilient. Uh, Vivek, coming to you, uh, which areas of business have done well in rapidly reshaping operations to respond to the challenges? Uh, at first, everyone was struggling. They were in a state of shock. I live here in Silicon Valley where, uh, you know, people think that they are uh, on a different planet. Literally, uh, the values and culture here are different than anywhere else in the world. And uh, the belief was that Silicon Valley wouldn't be impacted by world events. And suddenly it is. So you've got small startups, you've got large companies, you've got retail outlets, you've got hairdressers. Everyone has been disrupted. I mean, this has never happened before. Now, within within the corporations... You know, before, like in the Facebooks and the Googles and, uh, you know, many of these companies, they were an elite set of people who were allowed to work from home all of the time. And others would have to come to work. Suddenly now, everyone has to work from home. What's more, they have to communicate differently than they did before. So the answer is that every part of the organization now has to figure it out, whether it be accounting, whether it be marketing, whether it be, uh, you know, the executives themselves, Everyone now has to uh, adjust to this new reality and change. And it's happening. That's a good thing that companies have figured it out. You know, it took a week or two to, for them to uh, get over the shock. But now they are doing what they have to do. Now, in terms of disruption to learning, what type of existing technologies are helping pupils unable to attend school avoid setbacks in their education? Well, I'm an educator myself. I teach at Carnegie Mellon University in Silicon Valley. And it was clear about a month and a half ago that the coronavirus was going to hit us very hard. So my, what my son Tarun, who teaches with me, and I decided was that we needed to now um, uh, prepare our students for this. 
Normally, our classes are very intensive. We put them in groups of five and have them do discussions. We had to create rooms on Zoom where they could have these breakout sessions. We had to redo the curriculum so that it emphasized more reading and uh, more writing you know, back home rather than more discussion in, in person. We did have the side discussions, but we had to rethink the entire education system. We piloted it for two weeks before everyone else was in panic and the school mandated that we would have to do uh, telelearning. So while all of our uh, you know, colleagues and all the other professors were going crazy, trying to figure out what do we do, what do we do, how do we redo our things, we were sitting back and smiling and saying, here's how you do it. You know, we showed the rest of the university what could be done because we had already you know, instituted these new policies. And Ishmael, what has Capita as an organisation been doing in these challenging times? As far as, as, far as Capita is concerned, we took a, a, a three-pronged approach, if you like. Firstly, we've been focusing on our people, recognise this may be here for some time, and the fact that a lot of our business revenue streams will be turning off as our clients go through their own challenges. So uh, we have gone through a big cost um, exercise. But in doing that, the one thing that we did do is that we protected the most vulnerable. We ensured that any pay cuts, any decisions that we were making were taking into account the most vulnerable and the lowest paid in our population. Secondly, we've had this huge program, which we were underway anyway, but now it's forced upon us, which is to really create an infrastructure in our business which allows people to do all of their activities remotely. And thirdly, um, from a client perspective, you know, from a private sector perspective, we're trying to ensure business continuity for our clients, big clients who are relying on us to contact their customers. But I guess the biggest activity that we've got uh, involved in is because of the work that we do with the British government. So we had to move uh, incredibly fast to react to the government needs around providing services for the NHS, around providing the onboarding capability for government departments to bring in extra people. We're reacting, working with the Cabinet Office in ensuring that the sort of services they're trying to get access to, we play our part in, along with other partners in doing that. We had to stand up a 600 people call centre almost overnight to try and address some of these needs. So it's been full on, actually, in terms of our clients, ourselves and our people uh, as we try and react to what's happened in the last couple of weeks. OK, Ishmael, uh, thanks for the moment. In our next segment, we'll look at how innovation is fueling the new norm. Tomorrow's organisations. So exactly what's changed in the world, Vivek? Justine, you know, before uh, people assumed that because the last 40, 30, 40, 50 years have been a certain way, it'll be like this forever, that uh, you know, business would change gradually. Now, suddenly, the whole world has been turned upside down by this virus, which grew exponentially. It traveled exponentially, and it shocked governments. It shocked people. It shocked industries and has disrupted everything. Exponential is how technology is also advancing. This whole concept that we've seen over here in real life is the way technology has been advancing for the past 100 years. You know, the the processing speed of our computers has been doubling. It's to the point that in the next five or seven years, our smartphones will have the same computing power that a human brain does. It is everything that computing touches, artificial intelligence, robotics, sensors, networks, you know, you name it. Any technology that becomes information-based starts advancing exponentially, and that is what's happening. 
and where technologies converge, they start disrupting entire industries. Ismail and I have a book coming out uh, you know, later this year, which walks through you know, what's happening here. It details what's happening industry by industry and explains the basic concepts of disruption. And then it teaches you, you know, teaches business executives new methods of innovation and how they can benefit from it. The aha moment in this whole COVID experience for the people that I've been talking to happened last week when there was a government medical uh, doctor or scientist interviewed on the BBC. And he said, if you have flu through 10 people, you might give that flu to 14 people. If you have COVID through 10 people, you're going to give that flu, you're going to give the COVID to 56,000 people. That is exponential that I think everybody suddenly got their head around to understand that this is really crazy. The fact is that the world changed overnight. And the same thing is going to happen to industry after industry after industry over the next decade. So, Ishmael, is there a silver lining here? Yeah, and no, I think that there is definitely a silver lining potentially coming out of this. One is um, uh, there was a report over the weekend that in Scotland's largest cities, uh, air pollution has plummeted um, as the millions of people stay at home, right? And we've seen that all across the world. All of these sites where people have stayed at home, there, there's an environmental impact. Just this, the second thing is, Maybe, may, just maybe, the virus is forcing us to use the internet as it's always meant to be used. And, you know, we talk about uh, Zoom art classes, Skype book clubs, Periscope jam sessions. Uh, I've got my parents, 81 and 85, FaceTiming me because they don't want me to go see them. So, you know, I've, I've, this, this internet is suddenly mainstream. Technologies are not an issue any, anymore. There's no resistance. And so I think that's happened as well. But challenge fuels innovation. And I think this is another silver lining that we probably haven't started to even think about. And on a similar note, do you think this will affect students who don't have to spend time travelling to schools and colleges and wasting time between lessons? In two or three years, you'll have headsets that deliver 4K quality, which costs less than $100. So the virtual reality is the next revolution. As well, AI digital tutors. A lot of, uh, you know, again, the AI technology today is, is really, uh, it's overhyped. It's not really there. It's, um, you know, it's natural stupidity versus artificial intelligence. <laughs> but uh, give, it, give it three or four or five years and you will get to the point that what we, you know, saw in science fiction begins to look real. You'll have digital tutors that really can understand the emotion of a, of a child or of, a, you know, uh, an adult and adjust the learning to their needs and then we'll have virtual reality headsets in which we can go and socialize. So will this, you know, podcast such as this, maybe we'll do it on Mars or, or in Tahiti, but we'll be able to, um, uh, you know, go and interact with each other in social ways. Social media and uh, communications will have a completely new meaning because of these advances in virtual reality. Well, I like the sound of doing the podcast from Tahiti, but uh, for now, let's move on. Uh, Vivek, do you have any advice for business leaders in terms of how they manage and adapt this year? Yes, you have to realize that the world has changed. Forget what you thought you know, had to happen. Forget the real estate in the offices. You know, rethink uh, the way you do innovation. Um, engage your people. Ask them to give you ideas on how to react to this the new reality we're in. 
and um, uh, you know apply new methods. If you read some of the narratives in the business press right now, this is around how do we get past this stage? And then there's some narrative which says that maybe this part of this is going to be the new normal. If you do then in you know internalize that, then it, then you come to the next point, which is everything's changed forever. And that means everything's changed forever. And, and so the business advice, I mean, that we are taking ourselves is, well, firstly, we, we're looking at how does COVID affect everybody and what can we do about that? Removing the financial concerns, uh, the short-term impact that might have. But really, it's about what does it mean in terms of the changing operating model? Uh, and what does it mean in terms of what our clients and our, and, and our different stakeholders are going to want from our businesses? That's, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Well, in our final section next, we'll look into the future and see what the world looks like after the pandemic. As much as we're in worrying times, sooner or later the pandemic will be over and things will return to some sense of normality. Ishmael, how do you think the working landscape will look then? So, Justine, I would start with the point that it is not going to return to some set of normality, but we're going to see a shift to the next normal. And, and I say the next normal rather than new normal uh, because I think it's just going to be continuous uh, in terms of the chain cycles we're going to have to go through. And in this next normal, uh, the new reality, I think we're going to see a, a dramatic restructuring of not only the economy and business, which is what we're talking about here. We, I think we're going to see a discontinuous shift in the expectations and preferences of people, uh, of citizens, of employees, of consumers. What they want, what they accept, what they will put up with will change forever. I think there's a downside to this as well. And the downside in my mind that I started thinking about is one thing everybody starts thinking about now is to stop this sort of pandemic in the future, we need to understand and capture data more, especially around people and where they've been, and what they've done. And I think this is the big brother, large-scale surveillance discussion that we've had forever. And suddenly what you'll find is governments and organisations are going to have the right to ask for and maybe store people, data about people that they've never stored before. And that, I think, is also going to be an aftermath as we come out of here. Vivek, you've written about this in uh, as regard Facebook and so on, right? What do you think? I expect in the next few months we're going to come up with vaccines and then we're going to come up with genetic cures for a lot of this stuff. We'll also now have the ability to cure disease much more rapidly. From another perspective, now people are home and they're going to, you know, many of them are going to stay home and they're going to want better services at home, which means we're now going to have telemedicine, which becomes the norm. We're going to want home diagnostic devices. We're going to want better home delivery. Uh, we're going to start seeing self-driving cars taking over our roads. And we're going to be socializing through the virtual reality. Many, many, many changes. So it's really, you know, when we dig out of this um, rubble that we have right now from this pandemic, from this uh, coronavirus pandemic, we need, to, we need to start realizing that the world has changed, that everything is happening exponentially now. And we need to figure out how we can come together as, uh, you know, a country, as, as a society, as a race, as humanity, to use technology in a wise way 
to uplift ourselves, to prevent you know, the darkness from happening again and to turn it into something really bright rather than it being the dark future, which is entirely possible. And as we evolve through this immensely challenging period, let me ask you both, will we see new sorts of businesses cropping up? And, and if so, what will they offer? Vivek, starting with you. My uh, speaking agent, Mike Humphrey, is talking about creating a new uh, a form of, uh, of conference which can be done online. He's presented me some of them ideas. He wants to pilot it. So he's now transforming from being in the business of selling uh, speaking engagements to coming up with new methods of, uh, of uh, doing uh, conferences. People, entrepreneurs all over the world are going to see opportunities here and they're going to jump on them. I think there's going to be a whole set of businesses based on 5G. I think there's, there's a whole set of businesses around robotics. Uh, we talked about drug delivery. We talked about education. Um, we've talked about drones uh, in that sense. I think that um, th- this the things on the cusp like 3D printing that will become mainstream because uh, there's one one idea that you know you get something delivered by a robot. The other thing is you don't get deli- anything delivered at all. You just get it printed at home. I think that that uh, it will see its day. And then I, I still believe, um, although Vivek gives AI a hard time, I think AI. Uh, to understand the amount of data that's going to be going around society and businesses. I think AI-driven businesses are going to be proliferating and coming mainstream. Um, and I think it's an exciting time for humanity as, as long as we understand that there's a responsibility with what we do with all of this technology and all of the data coming our way. Coronavirus has been a shock for most organisations, despite Bill Gates's warning in 2015 that the next big threat to humanity was a highly infectious virus. So a question for both of you. How can businesses improve the way they embrace innovation to be better prepared should anything on this scale happen again? Vivek? Well, this, uh, people, uh, things on this scale are going to happen again. And uh, it's not only going to be pandemics, it's going to be technology that hits them. So accept the fact that change is happening, accept the fact that technology is advancing exponentially, Understand that if you can learn these, if you can put the pieces together, if you can you know, figure out uh, how the, all of these pieces of the jigsaw uh, puzzle come together, you win. You own the future. If you start with the fact that this will happen again, i.e. shocks of this, time will, of this type will happen again, and Vivek uh, and I have spoken about this a lot, then I think um, how businesses can prepare is to have businesses which have a culture, and Vivek talked about this a lot, where people will make all of the difference. So the culture which allows the business to be agile, to react to what it is happening, and then to have a purpose around the business so that whatever decisions you make very quickly or over the long period, hang on to something that means something for everybody in that business and have the business driven on data. And that is really the culture of the organization uh, that we're going to have to create. And I think that resilience will come from the agility, the culture, the purpose, and having a data-driven focus on how you run the business. Well, thank you both very much for joining and sharing your thoughts. Thanks, Vivek. Thank you, Justine. And thank you, Ishmael. Thanks, Justine. I enjoyed that. Well, that's it for now. We hope you found our podcast helpful. From me, Justine Green, Ishmael Amla and Vivek Wadwa, thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more, go to capita.com slash future of work and learning.